Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA podcast dedicated to the old American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. Thank you so much for being a part of our AWA Unleashed Army, a fan, whatever. Everybody's got their little gimmick. I don't even know what we're going to call it, but thank you guys for uh, all of the support. Are you proud of me, guys? I got through the intro this week. I got through it. Kind of. Now that was really, really interesting, Chris. I, I was worried about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't conversed a lot over the last week since since you had that uh, that meltdown. I've been going into into hiding. I get what can I say? Oh, I know. I, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for me. What about us? Yeah. What about us? You don't give a shit about us. I, don't you give a sh- I never give a shit about you guys. You know. You know what I do? You know what I do give a shit about? Beer from. Uh, from Liftbridge, and you guys jealous? See what it is? It's my seventh year Avenue. Right there, right there. Yes. You know why does he get the perks and you and I do the work? You know he gets the perks. He gets a million bucks a year. He gets everything. What? And you know what you'd do with a pizza cart? We'd have to just cancel this half hour of the show. I know what I'd like to do with a pizza. Oh, no, I wouldn't look good with it. All right, good talk. All right, good episode, everybody. Okay, we'll catch you next week. We're out of here. Uh, yeah, uh, but no, it, it's it's great because I've got my 7th Avenue pizza here. I've got my my Liftbridge, my uh, Juicy IPA. I'm wearing my soda stick hat. I'm ready to go. And today, guys, we're talking about referees. Uh-huh. Now, there are yeah. some, some questions that I've got. And you've got some names that you guys are going to go through. But before we get to all of that, uh, again, first of all, thank you to uh, 7th Avenue Pizza. Uh, right now, what you saw there was the Lucky 7. It's a ton of meat, ton of cheese. It's uh, pepperoni, Canadian bacon, beef, Italian sausage, provolone, cheddar, and mozzarella. And it's all right here. Mm. The only thing missing is the partridge in a pear tree. Mm. So good. So good. You are you are one sadistic SOB. You know that? You really I haven't are. had breakfast yet. Mm. Mm. Oh, bellissimo. Oh Very man, and then, he's, then he's gotta have the uh you know the choreography. Come on. So, so wanna thank uh Seventh Avenue Pizza. Um yes, also mention soda stick. Not only this guy's, but we've got really cool gear. We've got the AWA Unleashed t-shirt that we've got. We've got the personalized hoodie that I know you guys have uh, that I've got. And as a matter of fact, what I want to do here, if it's okay with you guys, that if you have an AWA Unleashed t-shirt or you've got um, the, the personalized hoodie, is it okay if they email you guys and just with a picture of them wearing it, say their name, uh, where they're from and whatnot. And, and maybe we can get pictures of some of the people that support us. Can we, I mean, can we do that? Is that okay? That Absolutely. they send it? Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, I, I get all these pictures all the time, but let's, let's show, I mean, let's let everybody know what everybody looks like in these things. I mean, let's do it. So if you've got it, um, email Mick or George, Mick at Gmail, uh, G Shire at Comcast.net. And that, that sound good. Sounds good to yeah, me. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It'd be fun to see some of them and mm-hmm. obviously thank them for supporting 
Soda Stick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, guys, uh, Soda Stick, it's the only place to go for uh, officially licensed merchandise. So uh, there you see in the upper right-hand corner, and right there, if you see anything from anywhere else, just know that it's a knockoff. It's not approved. It's not legit. Um, we've had some people that have kind of been, you know, getting a little goofy and maybe overstepping their bounds, but, um, yeah, right there. So to stick, that's the, uh, that's the only place to go. So, uh, just an FYI, uh, Mick, let's go ahead and get to last week's trivia question. Um, last week's trivia. Yeah. We got a yes. winner. I was surprised. Uh, Inez Johnson, uh, congratulations, Inez Johnson, who knew that the AWA, uh, mid card talent, back in the 1970s from Canada with the initials RR was Ron Ritchie. He was in the AWA area for a little while. And uh, by God, I didn't think anybody would get that, but uh, congratulations, Inez. Is this Inez Johnson from Pequot Lakes? No. No? She was 107 when, when Ron Ritchie was in town, George. I, I don't think it's... Uh, okay, well, I haven't heard the name for 50 years. Inez Johnson, she used to do a, a bulletin back in the day. Yes, I, I'm sure it's not the same one. All right. Well, <laughs> how if, old would she, if it how is, old would she be? If she was 107 then, how old would she be now? Well, be about as old, yeah, about as old as I am, but so, you know, in the 2, 220 range... <laughs> You know, and then that wait, is, is that, either, I'll tell you that. 220, is that the weight? Is that the bowling score? I yes, guess. No, all of it. It's all the same. The yeah. weight, the age, bowling, everything. The bank account? Yeah, <laughs> 220. We're not talking pennies here, Carl. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> pennies. $2.20. No, yeah, I got hey. 220. And that's with uh, interest for cards. <laughs> right. All right, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it um i want to ask you guys before because we've got a ton of them here uh and i'm glad that we're doing this show because you know referees kind of sometimes get get overlooked um but i want to ask you guys a couple questions right off the bat um first of all george what is the role of a referee and why are they important to matches the role of the referee is something that in professional wrestling isn't the same as it would be in other sports like football umpires in baseball or hockey or anything. But the role of the wrestling referee is vitally important in most matches to assure that the match is going to basically come to the conclusion that is supposed to be the ending of the match. And a lot of, a lot of fans, man, I tell you what, the referee oftentimes takes more heat than some of the worst heels because the referee doing his job doesn't always see the infraction of the rules. And if you're a real serious fan, you realize that that's all part of the program. And the referee is so vital in that situation. Very much so. And, you know, the role has changed too over the years. You know, uh, you and George and I, uh, Chris, were talking before we came on. Nowadays, you know, astute fans will see that earpiece in the referee's ear on the, the televised matches. You know, he's getting his instructions from the back. You know, when there's a, a commercial break coming up, when the guys should take it home and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Plus, 
the referees today are very protected. You know, if they make a bad call, oftentimes it's on a pay-per-view. They don't have, you know, they're escorted out of the ring by security and whatever. Back in the day when George and I were watching it, it there were no earpieces. Referees trying to, you know, get the guys from point A to point B as smoothly as possible. And if he made a bad decision, he literally a lot of times fought for his life. So the referee is more than you know, just a bit player. He is integral to the uh, the success of the match. Well, and the storyline that, you know, wrestling always told, and it still does today, but certainly back in the kayfabe era, the referee had to be such a, as I said, an integral part of how that was all going to happen. Mm-hmm. He had to have his back turned at the right time, or he had to be knocked down, take a bump, be out until a certain moment. I mean, he was so important. And like Mick says, he, he put his life in his hands a lot of times with the fans as rabid as they would get because he made the wrong decision in the fans' eyes. So there are two types of referees that you're going to talk about today. One are going to be the, the regular referees, and the other are the troubleshooting referees. I As I go down this list, and we're going to go through it, <clears throat> I see that there are wrestlers that are on both of them. So I want to ask you guys, um, I want to ask you first of all, Mick, and then we'll go to George. What is the difference between the two? I mean, you've got wrestlers that are regular and some that are troubleshooting. <clears throat> what is the difference? How do we differentiate one from the other? Very, very simply put, Chris, if if two wrestlers had a grudge that was not being settled easily, if there was a a match that the promoters thought was going to get out of hand. Uh, if they needed somebody who would not stand for any BS from the wrestlers, and a lot of times this was in a blow-off match in the feud, they would bring in a special guest referee. They would call him a troubleshooter, and he was the guy that, you know, he was like the, the sheriff from the next county that would come in and maintain law and order. So, Totally different from, you know, and, and a lot of times they would give him the publicity. They would, you know, announce we got a special guest referee coming in. And a lot of times he would have as much notoriety going into the match as the regular ref, or as the wrestlers did. Uh, so as opposed to the regular wrestling referees, your, your average match, uh, mm-hmm. totally different night and day. The other thing about the troubleshooting referees is, like Mick said, when they bring them in, they usually gave the referee quite a buildup, maybe a background. A lot of times they created a story about this alleged AWA top troubleshooting referee that can only handle the big matches or the serious matches. And it was usually in those blow-off matches. It was usually when two guys were going at it and they were both going to kill each other and they need someone to step in and be able to, you know, supposedly have law and order. And it just made it made it so big. And we had some powerful names. And the other thing is, a lot of times the heels would sell it by saying, and now they're bringing in this guy, you know, and he's he's against me and he's going to be going for the baby. Sure. And yeah. I mean, really, you know, doing the interview well. And so the referee in that sense had a lot of respect. So it, it was almost up to the heel to put the referee over even more so oh, yeah. than in the interview. Yeah. And as okay. we tell our stories here today, you're going to see how that comes into play. Okay. Well, well let's go ahead and go through this, guys. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and start. I'm going to take myself out of the screen, and uh, I'll just put the pictures up as you guys kind of go back and forth. So uh, I believe, George, I think you've got the first one. 
I do. And, you know, when we talk about troubleshooting referees for the 60s and the 70s, this one might be the most noted and well-known to AWA fans. The king of the lumberjacks, Tiny Mills. Tiny came to the referee picture because of his wrestling career. The guy was six foot five, six foot six. He was always, as they said, the king of the lumberjacks, a big, brutal, tough, roughneck wrestler. And so when his career was winding down, it became apparent that when we have two roughhousers, babyface and, and heel or two, two heels, we're going to bring in Tiny Mills. And in this picture that you're showing, this is Tiny trying to break up Harley Race there from choking the crusher. And this would be the type of a match that Tiny would come into. The wrestler, in this case, Harley, would sell it that, you know, Tiny's going to be against me. He's going to be for the crusher. And Tiny was very monumental in that he was the troubleshooting referee that was brought in for the, uh, the uh, January 15th. 1965 match between Hennigan Race and the Crusher and the Bruiser. They said, when these four brutes go at it, we got to have the troubleshooting referee. And both teams, heel teams at the time, they didn't want any part of Tiny Mills. They made a big deal of saying, you know, he's we're going to be in there against Tiny as well. So it went really well for that match. And that was like one of Tiny's really first escapades into being a troubleshooting referee for the AWA. I think you got another one coming up too, pal. I do. And, you know, this plays right together. From that match I just talked about with Tiny Mills, where he was in with Crusher and Bruiser and Hennigan Race, in the second fall, at the end, the wrestlers tossed Tiny out of the ring, and he hit his back on the ring apron going to the floor, and it was reported that he was injured and would not be able to referee the third fall of this Donnybrook. So now the call went out to the dressing room, the locker room. We need another referee out here. And supposedly none of the locker room referees wanted to get in the ring with the four bullies that were in the ring that night. Lo and behold, wearing his sport jacket, the world champion Vern Gagne comes to the ring and says, I will finish this match. And this was an incredible way to put Vern over as the referee, but also Hennig hated Vern. Crusher still hated Vern because, again, he was still a heel. And Vern was the referee for that. And it built up the feud between Hennig and Vern when uh, Vern popped Hennig and they lost the, the title or the match that night to Crusher and Bruiser. So it was a great way to just tell a story and further tell the story when Vern was the referee that night. You know, as we go further into the, uh, the wrestlers or the referees that were the troubleshooters, there's a guy that fans don't often associate with being a referee more as a promoter. You know, the on-screen uh, flustered promoter, and that's Wally Carbo. And before Wally got into promoting, he refereed thousands of matches uh, for Tony Stecker here in the Twin Cities area and, and around the Horn in the upper Midwest. Wally was, was a local guy, um, you know, born and bred in the Twin Cities. So he was very familiar to wrestling fans and boxing fans. 
uh, and you know, on the local sports scene. But Wally was one of these guys again. You know, if you got if you needed a guy to good get into the ring, not necessarily as physical as Tiny Mills, but if you wanted a guy who had some authority, who had some stroke behind him, and wouldn't take any crap from anybody, Wally was the guy. And and again, Wally refereed. George, you'll be aware of this. I mean, thousands of matches before he actually started promoting. So, uh, yeah, certainly Wally uh, goes down as one of the AWA mainstay troubleshooting referees. And I'm going to go ahead and go into another guy that was a good friend of Vern Gagne's and also a college teammate of Vern's. And this is a former wrestler, and then he turned promoter. And I'm talking about Leo the Lion Namalini, or as Wally Carver would say, Dali Blue Lady. But Leo, Leo was a, I mean, Wally, seriously, the man almost swallowed his tongue trying to say Namalini. He did. How did he say that, Mick? That's good. But uh, Leo Namalini was a legendary football player here at the University of Minnesota, went on to a tremendous pro football career with the San Francisco 49ers. And Leo, uh, of course, wrestled in the offseason. Uh, he tag teamed with Vern Gagne many, many times. And Leo was a big, tough guy. So when the call went out, again, for a referee to come in that could handle things and not take any nonsense from anybody, uh, Leo Namalini was right there front and center. Uh, Leo wound up promoting out in the on the West Coast in the Oakland area for Vern back in the 1980s. So just, and they were great friends. He was at Vern's retirement party. Um, so yeah, Leo Namalini, one of the big tough guys in uh, AWA referee history. You can remember the famous line from Bobby Heenan regarding Namalini when he said his last name looks like an eye chart. That's right. There you go. Well, I'm going to go with the next one here. And we, we said in the beginning how sometimes they would put a storyline around uh, a troubleshooting referee. For a match between Cowboy Bill Watts and Luscious Lars Anderson, they were in the in the height of their big feud in 1969, and it was declared that finally they're going to have to bring in a troubleshooting referee. The AWA, Vern Gagne and Wally Carbo, they created this totally fictitious story about the AWA's number one go-to guy named Frank Crawford. Nobody knew who he was. But they put the storyline out there that he had handled top matches around the country and that he was going to be the go-to guy and take care of uh, this match between Watts and Lars. The interesting story behind the scenes was that this was Frank Crawford's one and only appearance in the AWA proper. In reality, he was a wrestling heel manager named Dandy Jack Crawford. And he, rest, he teamed uh, in Omaha with Tarzan Tyler. He was his manager. So they brought Frank Crawford in with this storyline. Ironically, Tarzan Tyler came with him that night. He was on the card, and he wrestled a guy named Bob Capel. Tyler was never back, but it always amazed me that they, le they let him beat Bob Capel, which would have made sense not to do if he's not coming back. But that was the story behind Frank Crawford. And he was the troubleshooting number one referee at that point. And in reality, a heel manager who had never refereed before. You know, I'm still blown away. You got me caught on fictitious and wrestling in the same sentence there, George, a couple of minutes ago. 
I know. What am I implying? They never go together. Those two words never go together, you guys. It's like Shire and personality. It just does not. Well, I was going to say like Shire and Karch. You know, they go together like mud and and, uh, dog poop. I'll be the mud. At any rate. (laughs) Yeah, you would. Continuing on uh, to the troubleshooting referees, and so many times we talked about how Vern Gagne would go to the local sports celebrities uh, to come in and referee. And one of the guys who Vern took advantage of his popularity back in the day was bench warmer Bob Lertzema of the Minnesota Vikings. There's the old the old bench warmer. And, and Bob Lertzema, of course, had a tremendous cult following. Uh, did, you know, he did his TV commercials. He was, uh, he was legendary around these parts. So they got Bob involved with, you know, some of the guys, you know, back, back in the day, Wayne Bloom, Mike Enos, uh, you know, guys like that. And, and uh, Zabisco, Lertzema took no crap from anybody. And he was, you know, a, pr- a pretty popular referee until one night at the St. Paul Civic Center. And I don't remember what match he was refereeing, but the fans all of a sudden turned on bench warmer Bob. And that will show you just how fickle and vile wrestling fans can be sometimes <laughs> when they turn on a guy like Bob Lertzema and they booed Bob out of the ring and old bench warmer Bob, good old down the street, next door neighbor, flipped off the fans. And I don't think Bob Lertzema ever refereed another match again. So there you go. Wow. Well, I'm going to go with uh, somebody that all AWA fans are aware of. And, and, and that, that doesn't even sound like Bob Lertzema. I know. He, he was that's very so, that's, that's so out of character for him. Well, I think Very, he was watching Frank at ringside, and he practiced the flip. That might have been it. No, I, I think Bob was just blown away that all of a sudden he wasn't getting cheered. And, uh, you know, he's just uh, – he reacted. Very interesting. All right, go ahead, Georgie. Sorry. Well, no problem. Um, I I was going to mention our next one, Red Bastine. Very well known to all AWA fans. You know, the interesting thing about what Vern did through the decades – was a lot of times he would have the young wrestlers when they were breaking into the business become a referee. And the idea behind that was they're going to learn the inner workings of the match, work with the guys specifically, and be part of the action and learn that side of it. Know how the referee fits into the picture. So Red did a lot of that in the late 50s when the Minneapolis territory was still NWA territory. But also, he did have a couple of matches in the AWA in 1970 where he was the special referee. And there you have that hometown boy who is going to get the nod, who fans will get behind. And Red, he never flipped off the fans, and he never got flipped off by the fans. So he was a respected one when he was in the ring. You got another one coming. And to me, this is one of the more famous troubleshooting referees. Yeah, you're right. Um, And I'm going to talk about Jolton Joe Blanchard. Uh, New fans would know Tully Blanchard. That was Joe's dad, or Joe was his dad. Here was the funny story about this. Vern and Joe Blanchard outside the ring were great wrestling friends. They, They would, Joe would come in when Vern wanted to go hunting or fishing. And so he'd bring in Joe Blanchard to be the troubleshooter for one of the the main events. 
the irony of it is, is that Joe in his own right was an outstanding professional wrestler. Yes. Many places all over the United States held championships, but he never wrestled in the AWA. Vern never used him as a wrestler. And they could have worked him into an angle here mm -hmm. and there, but never did. But that's what made him being a troubleshooting referee special too, is that Vern would bring him in at least once a summer, it seemed like. And then Wilbur Snyder would come in and the three of them would go fishing. Yeah, uh, Joe Blanchard had the look too. I mean, back in, in yeah. his prime, he was a big strapping guy and, you know, just, just his presence in the ring, you know, said troubleshooter. Uh, next guy that I'm going to talk about, a lot of times Vern would and Wally would go to the boxing ranks to bring in a troubleshooting referee. And invariably, this referee with the boxing background wound up at the end of the night clocking the heels with an uppercut or a right hook or whatever it was. And one of the guys was Jersey Joe Walcott. And Jersey Joe, a, a tremendous boxer, former heavyweight champion of the world. And Joe would come in periodically. He was kind of a mainstay, but he would, Vern would also bring in guys like Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano and, you know, the, the heavyweights of the day to come in as a law and order guy. And obviously with the reputation as being a former heavyweight boxing champion of the world, yeah, it, it just spelled troubleshooter with a capital T. And, and Joe Walcott was a very likable guy, a very friendly, um, a close friend of Wally Carbo's. So uh, Joe was a very popular figure here in the Twin Cities and, and came in a handful of times as the, uh, as the troubleshooter. I've got a picture of uh, Wally Carbo, who we mentioned earlier. I've got a picture of uh, Wally and Joe, Jersey Joe together. Uh, very good friends. Yes. Um, and, you know, he was a special referee, uh, Mick, for the Crusher and Bruiser versus Vern Gagne and Moose Evans title ah. match in 1964. They brought in Jersey Joe to be the special ref. Yeah. And uh, great, great memory there. The next one I'm going to mention, you know, and here again is a storyline that is created around this particular uh, in, uh, referee, but it's also interesting because they were telling the truth on this one. I know that seems strange. We had troubleshooting referee Dick Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. -L. And what was interesting about this is when Vern Gagne in 1972 was going to defend his title for the first time against Ivan Koloff, the Russian bear, they brought in Dick Kroll as the special referee, and they told the story about how Dick Kroll was a troubleshooting referee from the WWWF and that he had often refereed Bruno San Martino's matches, and he was the referee for the Bruno Koloff match, and this is what made it an important match that Vern wanted that referee to be in the ring. And so they brought in Dick Kroll. It was his only appearance, but the storyline was true. It was true about the East Coast. Yeah, they milked uh, they milked the the Koloff San Martino match for that one. They they no question. And they, they broke just, kayfabe in a sense when they admitted they that you know, there was another champion out there. They certainly did. Yeah. Um, next one I'm going to talk about is kind of a notorious referee. And not only is he a notorious referee troubleshooter, but he's also a notorious broadcaster that uh, my friend Rod Trongard really didn't have the time of day for. And I'm talking about Lord James Blears. Lord Blears had been a wrestler of tremendous success. 
uh, back in the 1950s and 60s. He was a great friend of, of Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, he and Nick uh, <clears throat> chummed together when they were both living in Hawaii. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they, they would bring Lord Blears in periodically. Occasionally, he was kind of like the the uh, the go-between <clears throat> for the Japanese wrestling associations, too. They would have him be kind of a figurehead um, when they would have an angle going with, with Japan. But Lord Blears is probably most noted for, uh, he was the referee the night that Nick Bockwinkle and Hulk Hogan battled it out, and everybody thought that Hogan had won the championship. Um, Lord James Blears, with a reversal of decision, basically said, you know, he had seen uh, somebody going over the top rope and the decision is reversed. And all of a sudden there's a near riot in the building. The one thing I would say, if you look at YouTube and you look at the ending of that match, and George will attest to this, Lord Blears took two bumps in a row. Uh, within about a minute of each other, and they were horrendously looking. And I don't mean because of the impact. I'm talking about the way that Lord Blears sold them. And, you know, he kind of swan-dived to the mat and, you know, like he was a, a you know, a yo-yo. And that, I think, also enhanced the fans. I mean, they got really, really aggravated because this looked to be such a contrived finish that they damn near rioted. But uh, Lord Blears, in the scheme of things, um, big shot in wrestling, wrestler, referee, um, matchmaker, you name it. You talk about that liaison with Japan, too, that you mentioned, Mick. The fans remember the wrestler movie. Uh, Lord Blears played that part in bringing Billy Robinson over from Japan and introducing uh -huh. him to uh, promoter Frank Bass in the movie. So there's a little bit of a real story there. The next one, uh, don't you have another one coming up? I absolutely do. And fans more of the modern era will certainly know this guy. And you talk about tough and a guy who fought for the heavyweight championship of the world and, and lost, but nonetheless, nothing to be ashamed of. Minnesota's own Scott Ledoux. And Scott, he got into, he was so tremendously popular uh, back in the 80s. Uh, with Minnesota sports fans, a legit tough guy, so involved in charity work, et cetera, here in the state of Minnesota. And he started a feud with Larry Zbysko. And, you know, if, if you watch that uh, that infamous AWA Wrestle Rock, <laughs> Wrestle Rock Rumble, uh, Scott talks about uh, smacking the little shit. Uh, Larry Zbysko is, is how he referred to him. Uh at Wrestle Rock, Scott Ledoux, and of course this had to be a work punch, I'm sure, but he hit Larry Zabisco with the most realistic-looking shot I think I've ever seen, and Larry took a, a back bump that was phenomenal. Uh, really, really looked good, but for, for his time that he was here in the AWA refereeing and then he would have some encounters, some matches with Zabisco, Scott Ledoux was really, really over, and uh Died much too young and a uh, Minnesota sports legend. The next one that I'm going to talk about is something this, you know, I tell you that they give background stories and they create stories and sometimes they don't tell the real story. This happened in this situation. Hard-boiled Haggerty had left the wrestling ring very early in the 70s to start a movie and TV career. 
And uh, they, the AWA brought him in as a special troubleshooting referee on April 28th in 1973 in Minneapolis. And he was going to ref the match between Nick and Ray, Stevens and Bachwinkle, against Rhodes and Murdoch. Now, here you got four heels, and who are they going to put in? And they brought in the self-proclaimed king of the wrestlers, H.B. Haggerty. What was interesting about it is that they only touted him at the time as being a famous movie uh, wrestler and a famous uh, TV star. And what was weird about it is they did not mention that he had been a, a holder of the AWA Tag Team Championship in the early 60s three times, noted three times with Geigel, Kaniski, and Lenny Montana. So it was weird to me that they didn't, uh, you know, go out onto that story and build him up a little bit more. That leads me right into the next troubleshooting referee. On that very same card, they brought in Lenny Montana. And they brought him in as a special troubleshooting referee for Cowboy Bill Watts against the superstar Billy Graham. That nobody else could handle him. And again, they missed the storyline that Montana and Haggerty were tag team champions in their wrestling days. They only told the story about his role in the Godfather movie. And I always, Mick, what's the name he used? Luca Brasi. Luca Brasi, yeah. And that was what they played off of when they would have been able to, again, tell the story of Haggerty and Montana as, you know, really top uh, champions at the time. It's strange that they didn't go with that. Well, Lenny and, uh, oh, sorry, guys. Um, I just want to say, um, for those that are, are watching us, don't forget to um, subscribe, uh, yeah. rate, review. Um, that helps us grow. So yes. just a just reminder to, uh, if you guys are, are watching, just go ahead and hit the, uh, the subscribe button. Um, got about to 25 minutes left here, guys. Let's hit uh, some of the... Um, Let's hit the regular referees, and uh, let's just kind of hit hit some of the high points with that. We got about uh, twenty five left. All right. Um, first and foremost, our friend Eddie Sharkey. Uh, Eddie not only was a great wrestler back in the day, uh, he also refereed many many matches. And of course, when he started his own promotion, the PWA, he was a regular uh, referee. But Eddie was one of these guys, a very very tough individual. He was built like a brick shit house. He wasn't the tallest guy in the world, but man, I mean, he was put together. And Eddie was legitimately a no-nonsense guy. He hung around with Harley Race, and that will tell you, you know, all you need to know right there. Uh, there's a kind of a, a mini shot of Eddie, but uh, back in the day, you did not mess with Eddie Sharkey. And of course, Eddie went on to become one of the great trainers in wrestling history. So, you know, I, I don't even know if regular referee is what you want to call Eddie, but uh, more times than not, he came in just, you know, as a, as a regular ref uh, on a regular basis and uh, handled the matches. But uh, just a great guy, our, our buddy, Eddie Sharkey. All right, go ahead with your uh, next one here, George, with the uh, regular referees. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a very recognizable face, certainly during the 60s. And that was a guy named Joe Snyder. And Joe wasn't the biggest guy that you'd ever see in the wrestling ring as a referee. But we will, I do need to point out that back in the 50s, Joe Snyder 
had a wrestling career where he was a journeyman wrestler, very well respected. And he was, he was sometimes noted to be somewhat of a shooter. So he was the real deal. And when he got into refereeing in the 60s, uh, more often than not on TV, and there he is in the 50s when he had the beard and he was wrestling. But when you saw him in the ring on TV or at the auditoriums, uh, generally speaking, Joe was one of your better respected referees and fans knew that even though he wasn't a troubleshooter, he was a good referee. I've got a few in a, in a row here, and I hope I'm not screwing you up, Chris, as far as the order of the pictures. But uh, our good friend Merv Unger from uh, Canada, uh, Merv would referee. He was uh, a Winnipeg native, and he would referee a lot up in the Winnipeg area when the AWA would go into town there. And occasionally he would come into Minneapolis, not necessarily as a troubleshooting referee, but more as an authority figure type referee where he had like official contacts and could make things happen. Uh, Merv, again, a tremendous guy, regular at Cauliflower Alley Club. There's old Merv sitting at some kind of a desk there. Um, great friend of mine, follows us on Facebook. And uh, hats off to Merv Unger. Th that Canadian connection uh, certainly played out back in the day. Um, Want to go to another one as, as we continue on here. And this is a guy... There's a uh, there, there's a family connection here, and the family connection is to Bockwinkle, and the guy that I'm going to talk about right now refereed in the AWA in the 1980s as Bob Warren. In reality, he was the brother Bob Bockwinkle of Nick Bockwinkle. And Bob did some extensive refereeing out on the West Coast before he got involved with the AWA. Of course, they never mentioned the, the connection uh, between Nick and Bob. Uh, great referee. I had a chance to actually, uh, you know, spend some time and hang out with him at those ESPN tapings at the showboat. Very, very smart guy. I think he's, uh, he's in real estate, I believe, out in, uh, in California. Uh, but again, they never mentioned it. it. Didn't dare do that. And I'm not sure he ever refereed any of Nick's matches. I don't believe so. But uh, I Bob, don't believe he did either. Yeah, Bob Warren was in fact Bob Bockwinkle. So continuing on, um, here's another one. And George, a friend of ours, huh. legendary, not only as a referee but as a wrestler. And I'm talking about the Iron Duke. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Mitchell. You talk about referees with notoriety here in the Twin Cities area. Uh, Jim Mitchell, the Iron Duke, probably took more heat than uh, a lot of the referees. And th the sad part about it is, and this is, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be unpolitically correct here. Jim w was born with a, a, a deformed hand. And because of that, he wore a glove over the hand. Uh, most times, and that's where he got the name the Iron Duke. But when he refereed, whenever he would have a two count, he'd put that hand up in the air with just the two fingers. And the fans in attendance, poor guy, George, you'll remember this, they would all chant in unison, two, two. And they were actually focusing on poor Iron Duke Jim Mitchell's hand. But uh, he was a great, great friend, turned into a promoter and wrestler and uh, saw Jim a few years ago. I don't know if he's still around in, in good health or whatever, but certainly 
one of the legendary AWA referees, uh, Jim Mitchell. Yeah, certainly during that time he was. I'm going to move ahead here a little bit, and uh, I'm going to talk about a guy named Greg Gagne. You know, oh. you mentioned Greg Gagne. You ever hear him? Greg no. Gagne. 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 When he calls me, he says, this is Greg Gagne. He always puts the A in there. Anyway, Greg, you know, Vern did a unique thing, as I mentioned earlier. Vern would sometimes have his rookies after the training camp be referees. And again, it was to also learn that part of the business and, and get the inner workings of the wrestlers together. And Greg, during uh, uh, before he actually started wrestling, often uh, refereed some matches. And I will point out for you fans of the wrestler movie, Greg is in the movie as a referee called Greg Westman. And that was very early 1973 when they were filming those matches. But Greg did referee, and of course, it helped him win his career. I'm going to also mention a guy here, um, K.O. Ken Yates. Uh. He, K.O. Ken Yates, he was a big guy, uh, bigger than most for referees. And he wasn't a troubleshooter by any means, but he had that reputation of being a former boxer and supposedly was uh, undefeated as a boxer, became a wrestler. He had some success as a wrestler, other territories, but not here. And he also often are in the ring in the 60s as the referee. And again, a very respected one, K.O. Ken Yates. K.O. Kenny Yates, you know, he was of that ilk. He got his reputation as an enhancement guy on television. But it, it, there was credibility there. You know, as you said, he was a boxer, big, tough guy, no question about it. I'm going to move ahead to uh, a couple of guys here that are actually, well, at least one of them is legendary. And uh, the, the, the guy that I'm going to talk to is none other than our good friend, the sodbuster, the icon, Kenny J. If there was anything in wrestling that Kenny didn't do outside of, God forbid, ring announcing, uh, he refereed, he wrestled, he was a corner man on the old Chicago wrestling uh, films out of Chicago in the, in the late 1950s. Kenny was a regular referee uh, here in the AWA area. And even though they didn't always bill him as a troubleshooting referee, there was something he kind of elevated the match a little bit just by the, the mere fact that here's Kenny J ref at a match. And uh, so again, Kenny Sodbuster J, jack of all trades, master of all trades uh, here in the AWA area. And what a great guy. Not, not, a, not a better guy in the world uh, than Kenny J. Next guy that I'm going to talk about, and we are actually going to have him as a guest uh, coming yes. up sometime very soon on the program here, man by the name of Bill Crouch. And Bill had actually started, he, he got trained in Milwaukee, and then he did some wrestling for Dick the Bruiser's promotion, came in and went to Vern Gagne's training camp. <laughs> and uh, he was a big part of that back in the early 1970s. And of course, as many wrestlers do, they kind of had to pay their dues as a referee. And Bill Crouch did that on occasion. He has, uh, he's, he's on a lot of YouTube videos from the 1970s. You'll see Bill Crouch eventually went on to a career as Butch Malone as a wrestler uh, down in the Southern part of the United States. And as I said, we're going to, Bill's a great guy. He's a, a movie actor now by trade. 
And uh, we're going to have him on the show here in a few weeks. But uh, a good friend of ours, great referee, Bill Crouch. Absolutely. And looking forward to his appearance coming up soon on the show. The next one I want to talk about, guys, this guy, everybody knows who he is. Simply put, George Scrap Iron Gadaski. Absolutely uh, as well known as Kenny J and as respected as Kenny J. And they were a team together when they wrestled and they wrestled each other in loser uh, battle of the loser matches, as we've discussed previously. And so George Gadaski, always a guy that you knew could do what he needed to do in the ring. And the fans very generally didn't turn on, on scrap iron. And he was just a good guy outside the ring. There's some famous stories, how he built a shed out of the plywood that he told Vern he needed for the ring and uh, other stories about him that are legendary we'll share for another time. But one of our great referees, and I really loved him as a person. No question about a great guy. Busted his ass for the AWA. Took yes. that ring truck all over the country. Uh, next guy that I'm going to talk about, we have mentioned many times on this podcast. Gentleman by the name of Paul Pershman got into the wrestling business in the early 1970s. Lifelong wrestling fan, wanted to get into the business. Uh, went to the uh, Vern Gagne's training camp, didn't make it the first time. Came back the second time and made it. And then uh, refereed and wrestled here in the state of Minnesota, in the Twin Cities area. And of course, after that, went on to great success as Playboy Buddy Rose out on the Pacific Coast, eventually became an AWA Tag Team Champion. And George, one of the matches that he refereed was absolutely legendary. Absolutely. He is infamous for being the referee on November 8th, 1975 at the St. Paul Auditorium when Vern Gagne dropped the title to Nick Bockwinkel. It was Paul Pershman who was the referee that night. And, you know, Paul was unique, too, because they gave him some opportunities to team up with Nick Bockwinkle and Blackjack Lanza, guys like this, even early on in his career. Uh, so they definitely respected Paul. There, there, there's no question about that. Uh, a great, great referee. A perfect segue into the next guy that I'm going to talk about. Paul Pershman or Buddy Rose's tag team partner in the 1980s, AWA tag team champions, the most underrated tag team in the history of the AWA, if not the business. I'm talking about pretty boy Doug Summers. Doug set up the ring. He took tickets in the early 1960s, would see him at the TV studios. Then he trained as a wrestler uh, and as a referee both. Had great success all around the country, especially in the southern part of the United States. Pretty boy Doug Summers. But here in the AWA area, as we've mentioned, you pay your dues and you become a referee. You get your feet wet in the ring. And Doug did that on a regular basis in the early 1970s. That's a nice segue, Mick, into you mentioned pretty boy Doug Summers. It leads me to another pretty boy, Larry the Axe Hennig, who earlier in his career was pretty boy Larry Hennig. And what a lot of fans may not remember is that when Vern trained Larry Hennig back in 1957-58, Larry then became more often than not a referee for several years up until about 1961 when he started wrestling more full-time. But he was a referee that, again, 
Vern was allowing him to learn the ropes, be part of the be part of the action in the ring to see how it all works. And of course, we know Larry learned well. And of course, he also did the ring truck and brought the the ring to you know the towns down around southern Minnesota, etc. But that's where Larry got it. And then he did have a special occasion here and there when he was the axe, where they'd bring him in as a special referee. So everybody respected Larry the Axe Hennig. You got another one there too. I do. And you know, this one is this one is unique, and everybody will recognize him. It is El Darusha. El Darusha was, you know, infamous for being the uh behind the scenes guy at the WTCN TV studios when he worked there as the producer. He got into the ring announcing with the AWA. And then it was kind of a natural thing where I think Vern took care of him in the sense that we're going to put you in the ring and you can referee. Now, to my knowledge, I never saw El Darusha take any bumps or anything in the ring, but he was always a good referee and was able to make that effort that the fans could believe that he was, you know, keeping law and order. So it was the guy that I enjoyed watching as a referee. And I think he certainly belonged on our list here today. Perfect segue, of course, into the referee, Al's son, Gary Darusha. Yeah. And Gary, who's got the nickname Gary Juice Darusha, uh, one of the more well-known AWA referees of the 1980s. And Gary was a good one. He was a guy that the AWA could depend on to get in the ring, to get the story over, to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, he was big enough, so he had the credibility of the size. But, I mean, from a referee standpoint, they didn't make him much better than Gary Darusha. I think he is vastly overlooked in wrestling history in the AWA as the talented referee that he was. Good friend of ours, and hopefully we'll have him on the show as well. Uh, hats off to Juice Darusha. Absolutely. Okay. Moving ahead real quickly here, because I know we're running out of time. The Crusher had a son, ladies and gentlemen that uh, refereed here in the AWA area, and that was Larry Lasowski. And Larry Lasowski, and this was no secret. The fans knew the Crusher's last name was Lasowski, so they didn't actually try to hide it. But, of course, he never refereed any of uh, Crusher's matches. But Larry Lasowski, again, because of his lineage, because of the training he had from his dad, because of his size, he was built like the Crusher. He looked like the Crusher. Uh, there's a shot of Larry right in the middle between Baron Von Raschke and Kenny J. Talk about a guy who looks like his dad. Uh, but Larry Lasowski, not necessarily a troubleshooting referee, but a damn good one here in the AWA. And, you know, the interesting thing about that is they never really acknowledged that he was Crusher's son ever. Just okay, I'm, I'm going to sneak in and do one more because the, the, the producer is, is telling us to do it. Yeah. Um, here's a guy, perhaps the most famous of all the AWA referees. And I'm talking about the infamous Marty Miller. Marty was of all of about five, six, five, seven. He was not even intentionally a heel referee, but he got himself involved in more disputed decisions than any referee in the history of the AWA. And as a matter of fact, I think I've said this before, you know, and language aside, Marty told me whenever he came out of the back to get into the ref into the ring to referee, there's old Marty. The fans knew it was going to be what Marty said, a fuck finish. 
They they just knew with Marty Miller in the ring, something was going to go awry. But legendary referee, perhaps the most famous of all the AWA refs. And that's absolutely fact about the finishes. You always knew it was going to happen. My last one, I'm getting the push here from our producer, our beloved producer. I'm going to go with uh, Bob Windham. Ah. Boy, I'll tell you what, you talk about a big guy who looked the part. He was a former New York Jets football player. He came into the AWA in 1969, early 70, to get wrestling training from Vern Gagne, of course. He became our Rookie of the Year in 1970, but he was also famous for his refereeing. And again, that was Vern's way of giving him the chance to learn wrestling. He hauled the truck like the rest did to the towns. And if you go to YouTube, you can see Bob Windham at his best when he's the referee. In the June, again, the January 70 bloodbath between the Crusher and the Dog. And that's Big Bob Windham. And then also we know his career, yeah, Black Jack Mulligan. Big guy. Oh, big, huge, huge guy. Yeah, and a, a patriarch of an absolutely, a, another one of the royal families in, in wrestling. There's so many of them, so many lineages. Uh, that being said, guys, we're going to wrap it up there uh, with that. Uh, hopefully everybody's enjoyed that. I uh, just want to, uh, again, thank our sponsors, Seventh uh, Avenue Pizza, which, by the way, guys, you can tell that it's I've been I've been busy here. You know, you got a little bit. Really are a bit. This is why he took himself out of the picture. The man was finishing a couple of pizzas. Oh, absolutely. And I've I've actually gone to uh, my second drink there. So that's why I've been behind the scenes. Um, you call it producing. I call it eating and drinking and supporting our sponsors. Uh, so, uh, yeah, check out Seventh Avenue Pizza. It's great frozen pizza, you guys. And I mean, I'm just, I cannot, I cannot say enough good things about them. I'm really happy to, to have them on board. Uh, Soda Stick as well. If you've got an AWA uh, Unleashed t-shirt or you've got a personalized hoodie, uh, send a picture to Mick at MickKarch at gmail.com or uh, gshire at comcast.net. Your name, where you're from. And uh, maybe your favorite AWA wrestler. Uh, give us all that information. We'll get you a picture. Uh, we'll get you on the podcast here. And uh, we'll give you a, a nice little plug. Put you over, as they say in the wrestling business, apparently. I think that's a term that, that people use. I don't know. Um, and uh, also Liftbridge as well. It's summertime. Nothing better than to, to get your hops from uh, Liftbridge Brewery. Let's get the uh, trivia question here, guys. And uh, then we'll get the shout out. So what do we have for trivia this week, Nick? Trivia this week, I want you to tell me any, any and all championships that were held by Eddie Sharkey when he wrestled in the AWA. Any and all championships that our good friend Eddie held when he was here as a member of the AWA roster. If you know, send me the answer. Maybe you can be a winner. And, uh, and there you go. Let's go ahead and do the uh, shout outs and then we will promote because we got a fun guest coming up next week. Maybe somebody that I don't think wrestling fans would associate with the AWA, but I'm excited about next week's guest. But uh, let's get the shout outs first here, guys. Uh, I think uh, looking at the banner, uh, Mick, I've got you first. My good friend, Glenn Anderson. Uh, Glenn, who splits his time between the Minnesota and Florida, 
a tremendous wrestling fan, never misses an episode of the podcast. I will tell you that right now. Uh, a great friend on a personal level. Shout out to my buddy, Glenn Anderson. And uh, I want to give a shout out uh, today to a real wrestling friend, a real wrestler, a former wrestler, and a guy that uh, garners respect from me. And that's Ed Giovanetti, who wrestling fans would know as Moondog Ed Moretti. But great guy. You're absolutely a great guy. And here's the great part of it. Mick, you and I, we both know that when we get the respect from the boys in the business and they call us mm -hmm. good, that's the highest honor we can get. And Ed is a great supporter. He listens to all of our shows and he sends us, you know, responses. So, Ed, I love you, man. And I thank you so much for your friendship over the years. And I'm going to go to uh, Chris DiCarlo, who watches us every Tuesday when the show comes out. Uh, he's active on Facebook. He uh, follows us as well. He's at, at Raymond4755 on Twitter. Uh, so, uh, Chris, buddy, this is for you. Uh, by the way, they've got, a, uh, they've got a show as well. It's called Falls Count Anywhere. And uh, he and uh, Charlie Turner, Charlie's going to get a shout out as well. Uh, I think he just kind of just did there. But they do a great job there. Um, and uh, they're based out of Buffalo, New York. So, uh, Chris, this is for you, brother. This is for you. Uh, got a couple minutes here, guys. And uh, Mick, why don't you tell us about next week's guest? Very fortunate. You know, you said not necessarily an AWA connection outside of the fact that he grew up watching the AWA television. Um, notoriety plus all over the country talking about Mr. Ken Anderson. Uh, Ken, oh, of course, Ken Kennedy back in the day in, in WWF. Mm -hmm. He's going to be a guest on our show talking about not only his days as a wrestling fan and wrestler, but that tremendous wrestling camp that he runs right now, the Academy of Professional Wrestling. So really looking forward to this one. He's a tremendous guy. So it'll be fun to have him on. And we've got a lot of other things that are planned. So uh, again, follow us on all the social media platforms. Uh, you can go to Slick Mick, Old School Wrestling, Georgeshire Wrestling Time Machine, uh, the uh, AWA page on Facebook, AWA Unleashed on Twitter. Uh, subscribe on uh, YouTube. That's a great way to help us grow because uh, I know people are watching. Just click the little subscribe button. I'll pay for it. Uh, so, you know, there you go. So you can't be free. And uh, guys, I'm going to continue to have my pizza, my 7th Avenue pizza and um, drink my beer, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. I'm going to imitate Frank. Yeah, that's real classic.